Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Here's what DC's talking about. LGBTQ spaces are under attack nationally, and that means DC's queer bars and clubs have even more importance. DC actually has a rich history of gay bars, but when it comes to clubs, not so much. Ed Bailey, the founder of DC's iconic gay nightclub town, explains why and what clubs mean for DC's LGBTQ culture. Today is Wednesday, March 29th. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. Thank you so much for being here. Town is actually the first gay bar I ever went to in D.C., so it has a special place in my heart. Oh, that's 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 sweet to hear. I, I will say it's not the first time someone has said that to me, but it is a fantastic thing to hear every time I hear it. So tell us a little bit about the gay clubs that exist in D.C. Where are they and how long have they been around? I think contrary to popular belief, there are a bunch of them. Over the years, there have been more and there have been less, but... We're not in we're not in the biggest dry spell that some people I think seem to think we are. There aren't any big dance clubs at the moment, but there's a lot of activity in Logan Circle, number nine and trade. There's Green Lantern and a number of the restaurants and smaller like pub businesses in Logan Circle are very kind of queer friendly. So Logan Circle certainly has a hub. U Street certainly has a hub. There's uproar. There's Dirty Goose, there's Kiki, Nelly's has been there for a number of years. And there is a dance club there called Flash, which does cater to our community, and a smaller dance club there called DC9, which definitely has events that are LGBTQ focused. Um, Capitol Hill still has some activity, brand new bar there, As You Are Bar, great addition to the whole ecosystem of the city. Those are kind of the, the larger operating bars at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that there are more of them than people maybe think. We at CityCast DC got a question from a listener um, that we thought was pretty interesting. He says that there are a fair amount of gay bars in the area, but also a fair amount of gay clubs that have closed in the district over the last 10 years. Why do you think that is? And, And how do you think it adds to this perception that there aren't a lot of gay spots in DC? I think the perception is pretty simple to explain. I mean, I think the smaller a bar is, the more niche it is. So many segments of our community don't even consider that as a place or maybe even haven't heard of it because none of their friends go there. So that's certainly part of that process. But it is a true statement that there are no larger, more generally across the board, well-known places. The town closed in 2018. And Since then, obviously, we've also dealt with other things uh, as a society that have led to other issues for bars and and nightclubs. I mean, I think the larger issue 
is that in order for a, a big nightclub to actually be big, it has to be in a place where it can be big, which means it's going to be in a part of town that probably is less developed. And then eventually those big spaces become very valuable commodities, especially if those neighborhoods have somehow been introduced to more people through the actual nightclub existing in the first place. Where have you seen that happening? Can you give me an example of where that has happened in the city? Well, that is what happened to town. When we opened town in 2007, there was nothing in that little neighborhood where we were. Nellie's had been open for about three or four months. And there was one or two kind of uh, fast food places and a couple Ethiopian bars on 9th Street right there. But that was it in that neighborhood. And then while we were there, the development started to take place in a kind of large way. And before you knew it, we were surrounded by buildings with hundreds of units and apartments that were renting for $4,000 a month. And, you know, you're just like looking around like, how did this happen? And we got that call one day where our landlord said, hey, I got made an offer and I can't refuse this offer. And when he expressed what the nature of the offer was, we couldn't possibly say anything that would uh, that would change his mind, but it left us without a building. The two larger clubs that I operated prior to town went the same way. Nation was a, a very well-known, gigantic space, very close to where Nats Park is. After being there through the entire 2000s, that exact same situation happened. The property was sold for millions and millions and millions of dollars. How have you seen the gay clubs kind of evolve since you've been around? Like, what's different than when you first got started in this industry? Well, obviously, society has evolved, and that's created a different customer base for the bars. I mean, the bars and the clubs used to mostly be LGBTQ people. That's opened up a lot more over the years as more and more people are excited to go with their gay and lesbian friends to the bars. They've always heard these clubs are fun, so they want to go. So that's definitely a thing that's evolved a lot. And it's it hasn't evolved without its pushback from the community too, wanting to preserve our kind of only spaces to be ourselves as kind of feel a little bit uh, impeded by other people wanting to just have a good time also. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you. What are your thoughts on non-queer people going to gay clubs? You know, it's so important that the queer community has these spaces that are really just for us, but so many people want to have a good time with their friends as well. Like, what are your thoughts? It's so difficult. I mean, honestly, I do this so that people can have a good time, right? That's the, the whole reason, the whole passion behind doing everything that I do is the the thrill of knowing I've kind of tried to figure out how to provide this opportunity for people to have a good time, enjoy themselves and have a kind of better quality of life because of it. Now, that happens to be firmly planted in our community. Like that was that's the goal. Like for a lot of my straight counterparts in the nightclub business, the bar business, 
don't always understand is that queer spaces are not just a business. In our world, it's about creating an actual safe community-based center for our community to be able to go and enjoy themselves, but also meet people in an environment where you can be who you are in a way that doesn't really exist in a lot of other spaces, certainly not in public spaces. You know, society has changed and maybe you can go on date now with your same-sex partner or whatever to any number of places. But for the most part, to really be who you are and authentically be who you are, these queer spaces are the only place where that can exist for a huge number of people. So we work hard to create those spaces that feel safe to to people, to our community. I've always been in the mindset that if you are queer and you're going to bring your friends to a bar, then it's on you to make sure that your friends don't somehow trample on the freedom that exists within the space. Come and have a good time. That's really all that matters. As long as everybody feels comfortable to be who they are, that's really all that matters. It's definitely how we are evolving as a society and we want to be more accepted and we want to have more allies. So this is part of it's part of the deal, right? When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. Yeah, it's funny that you say this. It wasn't a queer bar, but the dance party that really was like, where I cut my teeth as a youngin in D.C. was She-Rex that used to be at Chief Ike's. Yep. And when it started, it was definitely meant to be like a ladies queer dance party. It, I think it went on for like several years. By the end, it was just like a dance party, really. And if, as long as pe- people who were there wanted to have fun and as long as you were respectful and like didn't kill the vibe, you were kind of welcome. And really, like as long as you like had a good attitude and wanted to dance, you were more or less welcome. Right. I mean, that's the way it should be. Although there are some people that are hardline about that in our community. And it is part of an evolution. And now we're at a a point where the generation's way more open, way more comfortable to all kinds of people being at their space. Used to be very closed down around a lot of demographics, not just queer or non-queer. Like it used to be really broken down men and women weren't in the same spaces and black and white weren't in the same spaces. And all those things have become blurrier and blurrier over the years, which is beautiful. Yeah. Do you feel like DC's gay scene has gotten more racially inclusive? I know for a while it felt it could feel very segregated, but do you think that we've made steps in making the community feel more inclusive? I would say my personal perspective is that DC's 
LGBTQ nightlife. Sometimes there have been a lot of them over the years. Sometimes there's been less. Right now, there are so few opportunities for anybody in the queer community that's uh, people of color. There's so few places. There's so few opportunities. And I know firsthand, I talk to people about this all the time, how many people of color just don't feel comfortable in the spaces that currently exist and some of the ones that I listed when we started this conversation. And there have obviously been recently a kind of larger blowups about that. And I think all those things are incredibly important for us to examine who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing them and what kind of old ways of thinking are imposed on the kind of these spaces that are for newer generations and why aren't things just more wide open. It's definitely grown and evolved in different ways. It's just a really unfortunate scenario in a city that has so many people of color in the queer community for there not to be more options specifically catering to audiences that are just looking for something to do and for places to do it. So calling out places for not being inclusive is important. And then though providing spaces and having spaces is more important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What do you see as the future of gay clubs in the district? Well, let me just say first, I'm glad to just have survived the pandemic. The way we operated our businesses was to always be looking ahead and looking to the future. But starting in 2020, we kind of stopped doing that. We stopped looking ahead because we were having to like just make sure we could do what we had to do to be open. Our approach changed for a couple of years where we just stopped forward thinking. But now that we're on the other side of it, we are able to look forward a little more, not just with our businesses, but with projects that we did start in 2019 to try to build a new town nightclub. I mean, it's coming back. It's coming back. I don't want to misspeak and say town nightclub. It is us. And we were town nightclub and we are going to open something new and it's going to be its own thing. But we're certainly going to apply all the principles and experiences we had at town um, to what we do in the new space. But we're, we signed a deal in 2019. The landlord is still working on the building to get the building ready to deliver to us for us to then build the nightclub. The building is it's a, an old church. It was built in 1891. And so it's taking a lot of work to get it structurally sound to the point that it can handle what we're going to do in there. Then we're going to go in and build a nightclub and hopefully give DC just a little bit more of something to do on their weekends and bring back kind of a large dance experience, hopefully. So. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, I, I you one... can't wait. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you can't wait. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, Ed, I have one last rapid fire question for you. Okay. You've been in the business for so long, decades. Give me one of your favorite memories from being in the DC gay nightlife scene. A lot of the things that I immediately go to uh, involve people who I uh, cannot mention 
<laughs> at all. Um, but they're, let's not get anybody in trouble. <laughs> right, right. So that's immediately where my where my head goes um, because there are a lot of those um, stories over the years. So all right, here's a here's a story. So when we were at Tracks and we were operating Tracks, it was over the time in 1993 when there was a march on Washington. This is kind of one of the larger events to ever happen politically in the LGBTQ world. So what we decided to do over the weekend that this was happening, we had a 72-hour party on Washington. So we opened on Friday, and we did not close until Monday. And we did this so people had a place to be. They had a place to go. There were people that slept there. There were people that just came and this is where they could eat and hang out. And it was at least someplace they could feel safe and comfortable. So during that time, we had multiple DJs that played from all over the country that played a set and then someone else would play and then someone else would play. And it just kept going the whole time. And certain areas were closed down during certain hours or certain times. But that was an amazing experience just to create that kind of moment for Washington. But... Also, as we were gearing up for that weekend, I walked the neighborhood where Trax was, and I came upon this building that was an old boiler plant and incredibly industrial and interesting, but had since stopped being used. I knocked on the door, and a guy that was the custodian of the building was he was like, okay, and he let me in, and I walked around, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was this kind of unbelievable space. We were like, maybe there's something to do here. Well, that building became what was called the Capitol Ballroom. Capitol Ballroom eventually became Nation, the giant nightclub that then kind of dominated the scene of the city for almost a decade. So that all just kind of happened with within the span of my career in a kind of interesting way. That's fantastic. First of all, just the fact that y'all were part of history in that way for the 1993 March on Washington, and then how almost by happenstance that would go on to be the foundation of Nation, like such a iconic DC spot. Yeah, really just, that's, that's a weird part of the fabric of my career. It's incredible. Ed Bailey, thank you so much for being here. Looking forward to the new iteration of town. I hope you are. I hope everybody's not tired of waiting. It's coming, I promise. And before you go, some quick news. A new bill in the Maryland General Assembly would implement swimming lessons in public schools across the state. The bill aims to end swimming disparities among Black and white children and promote general water safety. D.C. Public Schools launched a similar program in 2017. Meanwhile, cue the office, it's happening meme. The Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails Group, which now includes Magic Johnson, officially submitted a fully financed bid that meets Dan Snyder's $6 billion asking price for the commanders. The potential sale comes amid plummeting popularity, as only 15% of people in the DMV consider it their favorite team. And finally, the workers at Solid State Books are planning to unionize. If successful, they would be the second bookstore in D.C. to do so, after politics and prose unionized in September. Solid State Books only has one location and says every eligible worker supports the effort to unionize. They're calling on management to immediately recognize the union so they can begin negotiating the first contract ASAP. And today's DC Life Hack is... If you want to score food at a Michelin-starred restaurant, you might not have to wait forever for a reservation. Show up and see if you can get a seat at the restaurant's bar. 
Our producer, Julia Karen, did just that at LB recently and was able to grab dinner and a drink with her mom after only waiting 15 minutes. So go forth and get that food. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, tell someone who loves going out dancing and also have them subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey DC, for some suggestions on where they can do that. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. Bye.